Good morning. We'll be reading this morning from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to up. There it is. So it is on. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, let me back up. So before we get started, um, this is nothing short of an honor. Uh, who would have thought that four years ago, um, my relationship with this church would begin with missing a meeting with Brian. I always tell him, I say, you know, it's so interesting. Um, our relationship began, it wasn't on a lie, but I told him I would come to church and I didn't for four months. <laughs> But nevertheless, God is good, and four years later, here we are. So I want to start this morning off with a thought. If you know me, you know I do that a lot. Trust in the Lord. It's very, sounds very simple, but it's also active. It sounds like something that you're going to do, not something that you're waiting for. It's something that you have to put your energy into. It's not just sit around, it's put something into something. And yet, I would argue that trust is not something that we give freely. Rather, we tend to hold on to it. Growing up as a child, if you're a parent, this is going to sound familiar. We tend to teach our children to not trust sometimes. Uh, don't talk to strangers. I don't know if I ever did that correctly. Um, if, if, if Halloween was ever a thing that you did, your parents might check your candy whether they're checking for it because it's not healthy or they want to eat it, I won't say. And none of that is bad. So if you're doing that as a parent, I'm not telling you you're doing anything wrong. However, what it does is that it begins to paint a picture of the world as a place that could be untrustworthy. And so what we end up kind of thinking is when you get older, you hear this term trust issues, the entire idea of trust is that you can put your confidence, your faith, your hope into something. And trust issues is the inability to do that. So I'm going to come clean. I have trust issues. That's what this entire thing is about. <laughs> we'll come clean. Um, and I can tell you when they began. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you all to do something. If you've heard this story, act like you haven't, please. So when I was younger, my mom is here. She's looking at me, so I got to tell her correctly. So when I was younger, uh, I had a tendency to eat things that tasted good but were bad for me. Particularly, I loved me some gummy bears. I don't know about the rest of y'all. They taste like fruit. So if my mom was like, hey, did you have anything nutritious today? In my own mind, I could say I had fruit and feel better about it. Was that a lie? Yes, I didn't care. And it was really bad. Like, I would forego anything that was healthy for gummy bears, and this went on for a while. Now, my mother, being wise in all things, realized that that was damaging to me. What I wanted was damaging to me, and in her wisdom, decided that I needed to change. But how do you get a rambunctious young man to do what he's supposed to do? Well, she had a thought. What she did was she went to the store, it's a vitamin shop, and in a little bottle, it was a little white bottle, they sold vitamins that looked like gummy bears. Didn't taste like them, which I found out later. 
And so she bought them. Knowing me, she bought them. I was home one day. I said, hey, mom, can I have some gummy bears? Sure, of course you can. And she uh, gave me a, a gummy bear. Popped it in my mouth, full of excitement, ready to go on my tropical vacation, and uh, was met with a trip to the hospital because I was very disappointed. Uh, tastes like I had medicine. And it didn't taste good. Now, it looked like what my gummy bear would look like, but when I put it in my mouth, I didn't like what I got. You did good, Mom. <laughs> but I didn't like it, and it hurt. The gummy bear didn't hurt, but my expectations were not met. And thus, I felt betrayed. So what, what, what was the point of me going into any of that? A lot of times, well, most of the time actually, our trust is based on our expectations. When someone breaks your trust, what you've actually said is either they did something they weren't supposed to do, or they didn't do something they were supposed to do. So as we get into Proverbs, I want this question to sit at the back of your mind. What do you expect from God? What are your expectations of who God is and what he'll do for you? And how do they compare to what he actually said about himself? and the promises that he made. Because there are moments when we get them confused. I don't know if anyone has ever been in a position where they feel like God has not kept his end of the bargain. God, I did everything you told me to do. I'm a good Christian, whatever that means. I pay my tithes, I read my Bible, I get counsel, and now I'm here waiting for you. I'm ready for you to do what you said you were gonna do, or am I ready for you to do what I want you to do? And then he doesn't do what you expect, and you sit there, and you wonder, why'd you betray me? And yet I would argue that God can't betray us. The real question is, what did he promise us? Not what do we expect from him, because he can't go back against his promises. He is God, his truth. So anything that he says he'll do, he'll do. He can't do anything else. Now, if we expect him to do something that he didn't promise, that's a different story. So that is the real question. What has he promised us? I could be up here all day. I won't be, I promise. I could be, but I'm just going to go through a few promises of his. In Deuteronomy, we read, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And John, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. Just heads up. It's going to happen. However, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So we're looking at all these promises, and a question, of course, comes up. How do we trust in the Lord? What does this verse say? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. What, what's going on? So let's take a little history trip. 
No, you don't physically have to go anywhere. I just need you to mentally imagine some things for him. Let's take a little history trip real quick. So Proverbs is written by Solomon. If you don't know, King Solomon was known, or is known, as one of the wisest men that ever lived. So this verse right here holds a lot of weight for two different reasons. Number one, it was written by the wisest man on earth. You got 66 books in the Bible, 66 books in the Bible. And the wisest man says, trust in the Lord. I would imagine that that gives it some credence, right? If Warren Buffett came down and said, invest in this, I promise you wouldn't sit there and be like, eh, maybe not. No, you'd be like, all right, I got you. So because of his position, by nature of his position, the verse gets credence. But there's something else hidden behind it that maybe you might not have thought about. Solomon's father was David. King David. Goliath slang David. Did some other stuff, David. <laughs> I won't go through that today. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> David did a lot, right? David had the best of times and the worst of times. David was chased by the man which he almost considered a mentor at times. Saul, you talk about betrayal. Imagine if you went to work tomorrow, there's a bounty on your head. I mean that literally. That's literally what happened. He was cool, he was calm and collected, out of nowhere, kill him. So he had every reason to feel betrayed. He didn't do that to himself. But funny enough, later on in his story, he did something to himself. His entire kingdom begins to fall around him because of a choice that he made. So you're talking about being stuck betwixt and between. On one hand, stuff is coming at him that he didn't ask for. On the other hand, stuff is coming at him that he did to himself. And yet even through all of it, he found out that trusting the Lord was always necessary. We read in Psalms, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And it's important to realize that this was not a suggestion. He didn't write this as, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe I should do this. No, it's a pillar. It was a pillar of his life. David says it in Psalms, and then his son turns around and writes about it again later. So what does that tell you? Simple. It's important. Trusting in the Lord is important. Point blank. But it's not the simplest thing get into that. How do you do it? Trust in the Lord. Now, unfortunately, he didn't leave a, a spelled out instruction manual. Step A, step B, step C, you know, like when trying to put together Ikea furniture. Actually, this is probably less complicated than that, if you ask me. So the first thing we must do is we have to become aware of our own expectations and figure out where they line up with God's promises. The basis of truth, the, the basis of trust, pardon me, lies in expectations. More specifically, they lie in the expectations of the person who is either giving trust or having it broken. I want you to think about a time when someone broke your trust. Like really, really think about it for a moment. How'd you feel? 
Were you hurt? Were you sad? Were you angry? All of those are valid. Not coming down on you saying you shouldn't feel those things. No, that makes sense. If you have expectations of somebody and they don't meet them, you're hurt. That, that, that's normal. But I'm going to sort of throw a curveball at you. Have you ever felt betrayed by God? I know, right? How could, how could we? We're Christians. We love the Lord. He's our one and only. How in the world could we feel that way towards him? That, that almost doesn't make sense. It, it almost feels like it's cognitive dissonance. And it can be very strange because you, you feel, it's, it's weird. You feel bad about feeling like he betrayed you, but you almost know, you think that you shouldn't feel that way. And so you kind of go in this loop. You go in this salvation loop. Am I saying, okay, do I trust you again? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, well then if I feel like you did this and I can't be a Christian, and then you're stuck. Because you don't know what's going on. And it's not the greatest place to be. And yet I would say that that's not true. Trust is something that you learn how to do. It's part of a process. Earlier I said that the world, when you're younger, the world is painted almost as if you can't trust it. But think about it. As you get older, you begin to learn that that's not necessarily true. Don't talk to strangers. Well, how do you make friends? Almost every friend you have at one point in your life was a stranger. But if you kept to, I don't trust people I don't know, you never would have made friends. Period. So what that lets you know is that what you think is not always true. It's not always a perfect representation of what reality actually is. Our expectations have a way of uh, kind of dictating how we feel at times. So earlier I, I talked about what God promised us. And as you're beginning to think about what you expect from God, never forget what he promised you. Because sometimes we'll ask God for something, but we're asking it from him in a very specific way. I'll throw, I'll throw an example in the hat. God, I need more money. He's like, all right. There's a restaurant right down the street <laughs> with a sign that says hiring. But what you meant was not, I just, I need one of those Oprah moments. You get a car, you get a car. You get, I just need someone to go, you get money, you get money. I just need you to drop it in my bank account. He's like, no, there's, there's a, you see that sign down there? You're driving down the highway, it's now hiring, just turn. Just turn it. There's your provision. God, I, I need advice. Talk to your community. No, 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 no. I don't want to ask other people what they think. I just, I want you to tell me exactly what I should do. No, I've provided for you. There are people right down the street. Go to your community group. Go to your pastor. I'm, I'm giving, I'm providing for you. But your expectation is that I'm just going to drop it in your lap. And if I don't, you then begin to question who I am. But that's not the fault of God. That's our fault. Because it's rooted in what we expect. Which, if you haven't figured it out, it's not necessarily the truth. 
We have a habit of spinning expectations to benefit us with the least amount of work. And if you all don't do it, I do. A lot. But God is good. And he's working on us. He's saying, I'm, I'm the same today and forever. I'm not going to change. Yeah, I'm going to provide for you. I got you. But you need to know what I've promised you. Because if you base your expectations on something that I didn't say, then you're going to be upset when I don't do it. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. Like if someone walked up to me and said, yo, where's my paycheck? I didn't tell you I was going to pay you. What? I asked you the same question. Where's mine? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to expect something from someone who didn't promise you anything. So then why do we do it? So now that we've sort of talked about trust a little bit, I want to transition into the second part. Because it doesn't stop there. It doesn't say, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and it stop. There's a few more pieces to it. We're going to head into part two and lean not until thy own understanding. I want to say that again. I want you to hear it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. What is understanding? What is that? We don't know, I'll tell you. A pastor that I used to listen to said it like this, and I like the way he said it. He said, your understanding is the truth that you stand under. It's what you know. Typically, it's what you know. It's information you've gathered. And yet, in Proverbs, Solomon knew something. He was very aware that there's more to understanding than what you know. When he's talking about understanding, not only is he talking about what you know in the moment, he's also referring to your capacity to understand things. I'll put it like this. Not only is he talking about what you know, he's talking about your confidence and your ability to get other stuff. You're probably thinking, why does that, why does that matter? Like, what, what's going on? Why does that, who cares? All right, we're going to have a little fun. So whoever is willing, I want you to close your eyes. You don't have to, but I'm going to ask you to, okay? So a lot of you have been in this building countless numbers of times over the past few years. Now I'm going to ask a question with your eyes closed. If I ask you all, with your eyes closed, to walk outside and get into your car and drive away, Put your hands up if you think you could do it. But that's scary. <laughs> that is absolutely terrifying. But that is okay. Okay, for the you all who didn't, briefly open them, look around. Look around, get some information real quick. Close them again. Now I'm gonna up the ante. Now, when you get into your car with your eyes closed, I want you to drive home. How many of you all think you could do that? Don't let me see a hand up. Oh, Lord. All right, you're free to open your eyes. <laughs> you're probably wondering, like, why did I do that? Think about this. <laughs> when your eyes are open, you take in a lot, right? You, you take in a lot of information all at once. And it kind of helps you along doing what you got to do. Get to the car. Okay, that's fine. I see what I need to see. I can make the best decisions for myself to get me to where I got to go. And... Bum-ba-dee-bum, we're good. 
When your eyes are closed, you are now relying on incomplete information. No matter how many times you've been here, the minute your eyes close, your senses have now changed. Things are going to be where they are. But what you don't know is when your eyes are closed, someone's going to be moving next to you. So even if you're confident in the fact that you know where the chairs are, where the walls are, where the door is, what you don't know is how the other people around you are going to react. You now have incomplete information. What if I told you that life is like that? We go through life with incomplete information. We go to work, we go to church, you read the Bible, we have friends, family, and all that is good. No, no problem with all of that. We make the best decisions we can with the information that we have. Should I take this job? Okay, what's it pay? Where is it? Is it work from home? Is it not? Doesn't matter. We do the best that we can, and that's okay. But we always rely on incomplete information. Why? Simply because we're human. It's not a flaw, it's a feature. We're not omniscient. We, we can't know everything. And so what Solomon is saying here, and it's, it's really funny, he's saying is, be careful. Do not become arrogant. Because you have the ability to learn a lot more. Sometimes what we'll do is that we will forego the God of the universe for the God of search engines, Google. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. There's no way that Solomon would have known 2,000 years ago that there was going to come a time when in your hand you almost held the information of the world in the palm of your hand. So what does that mean? Simple. Anything you want to know, you can look for it. It takes two seconds, less than that, for information to beam from one end of the world to the other. Is that bad? No. But what it can do is that it can create a sense of arrogance. God, why am I asking you? I can just Google it. Let me ask all these other people what they think about what I should do. Should I date this person? Nah, God, you're, you're good. I have the ability to ask all these people who know you, so I don't need to consult you at all. How should I navigate this part of my life? We're, we're going through a crisis. Nope, God, I don't need you. It's okay. I know that I can look up this person. I have access to this therapist. I can go to these people, yada, yada, yada. Is Google evil? No. It is not. It is a tool. But Solomon knew that arrogance causes a downfall. How did he know that? Simple. He fell. Think about, think how crazy that is for a moment. The wisest man on earth, who by the way, God bestowed upon him wisdom because he asked for it. It didn't just happen randomly. Solomon was like, God, look, I got this kingdom. I got these people. I don't know what's going on. I need help. God's like, what do you need? He's like, I need wisdom. Okay, I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you some other stuff too. So he's sitting in all of this abundance of wisdom, and yet still, he fell. How does that happen? It's, even, it's not even that he knew everything. He knew a lot. And wisdom is application, and he knew what to do with it. And he still messed up. You know how he messed up? He almost did the same thing his dad did. We read in, sorry. 
We read in 1 Kings of what he did. And you're like, Dad, before he even made the mistake, he could have looked back and be like, all right, my dad did it. Let's see how that ended for him. Poorly. How do I know that? I was a baby. Probably don't remember, but still. He could ask his mom, Bathsheba, what happened when dad did that? Did it turn out well? No. It was really bad. It was really, really bad. I don't know if you've ever had your family turn against you, but for something that you did, it was really bad. Unlike with Saul, when he didn't do anything, he was walking where he should have, and that was, that was what was supposed to happen, but that wasn't his fault. This was his fault. David's the reason why his life turned out the way it did for a while. And here comes his son, the sins of the past, walking forward. Walking in his footsteps, bit by bit. And here he goes. All right, let's make a mistake. What did he do? In 1 Kings, we read what he did. King Solomon, remember, the wisest man on earth. Let's not forget that. Loved by many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Young people, let me tell you something real quick. The company you keep is important. It doesn't feel like it right now, but the company that you keep can shape what you do, how you think, how you feel. I'm not telling you to cross out everybody in your life. I'm just telling you to be discerning in who you hang around with. Adults, you're next. I'm coming after you too. The company that you keep the people that you talk to, that friend that seems to always be ready when you're ready to gossip, they don't offer you any good advice. They just sit there. Oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. You're not helpful. I need a God answer. You're just sitting there taking in everything. Be careful about the company that you keep. Solomon was the wisest man on earth, and yet he fell because of bad company. Oh, and by the way, being the wisest man on earth, almost guarantee you there were people that he could have talked to. He's got counsel. He's got God. And yet, here we are. He fell. Doing the exact same thing that his dad did. Oh, here's another fun tidbit. The price that Solomon paid for doing what he did did not fall on him. You know who it fell on? His son. Trusting in the, not, not trusting in the Lord can have consequences for people that come after you. It wasn't even him that paid for it. Not really. He died. I guess that's paying for it, but that happens to everybody. He's gone. His son now has to deal with the aftermath of his mess. Just like the father before him. So take heed to what he says about not relying on your own understanding. Now, I'm not telling you not to learn stuff. If you go out there and you get in the car and you drive down the highway, you get pulled over and the cop says, let me see your license. And you go, I don't have it, but I trust in Jesus and he's at the will and you get arrested. Do not say 
that Dejan at Deep Run was like, go do that. No, that's foolishness. That's not wisdom. Instead, discernment. You are never at a point in life where you know too much or you can learn so much that God is no longer necessary. And think about that for a minute. God knows everything. Why wouldn't you want to consult someone who knows everything? I feel like that would make life a little bit easier, right? God, I need help. What's up? Not friend, random friend that has the same problems that I do. I need help. What do you think? Sure, you can still ask them. I'm not saying don't. But you have to be careful where your ultimate authority lies. And some of us have forgotten. Some of us have forgotten that God cares enough about us. He's like, yeah, come ask me. It's okay. It's fine. Come ask me about what, what you should do. I'm never too far away. We literally just read a few minutes ago, he will never leave you nor forsake you. So he's not going anywhere. He's not leaving. He's there. And yet we've forgotten to ask him anything. Whether that be because we're too ashamed of what we've done that we feel like we can't approach him, or is it that sometimes we're too arrogant and we think we know the answer? Either way, he's still there. And you can always approach his throne. Be really weird for God to say, I love you, but I don't want to talk to you. That'd be very odd. I don't want to hear from you. Nope, we're done. He didn't do that. Jesus kind of paid the price so that we have that direct line back to him. And he's like, yeah, come. Come ask me. I love you. I want to hear from you. I want that relationship. It's okay. It's okay. So I'm not going on an aside, but Paul knew this. Paul knew that he could ask God anything. And more specifically, he knew he could ask him while he was in trouble. He talks about doing things that he shouldn't do, but can't do the things that he should do. He was a mess. Let's be honest. Paul was a mess, as we all are. That's not me calling out Paul. I just want you to know that the guy who wrote most of the New Testament was a mess. So guess what? There's no way that God's not going to accept you if he can accept Paul. Oh, by the way, Paul killed Christians and then got converted. So if he can pull that off, <laughs> you really think that anything you bring to God is too much? Really? I, I kirked off on somebody. Okay. He loves you anyway. But Paul had a very interesting moment. In 2 Corinthians, he says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted what I do or say. So he's aware, he's aware that he can become prideful. He knows it. He's like, all right, let me bring it back. Let me bring it back. So he knows this or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, to stop it, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, and you all have probably heard this a lot, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults and hardships and persecutions in difficulties. So not only does he delight in times when people say stuff about him, he delights in times where his life seems to be hard. For this reason alone, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So if Paul knew that that power rested in Christ, I want to remind you all that the same applies to us. When we are weak, when we have those moments, when our understanding is completely lopsided, which, by the way, is most of the time, and we still try to rely on it, God is calling out saying, hey, come to me. I know what's going on. Nothing surprises me. I'm not surprised. I know what's going on in your life. I know it. I know I'm here. I know it. But still, my power, my grace, mine, me, mine, sorry, is sufficient enough regardless. And then we get to the end of this entire passage. I'm repeated again because I love it so much. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not until thy own understanding. Okay, we've got the trust part. We've got the understanding part. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Ooh. Ooh, that's kind of tricky. Because in this particular context, when he says the word acknowledge, it's actually very simple. I'll, I'll bring down the curtain. All he's saying is, I just need you to believe who I am. That's it. That's it. I feel like that would probably be the easiest thing to do. Just believe me. That's all I'm asking you to do. That's it. Just believe in who I say I am. Believe that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. That is all I'm asking. But some of us don't know who he is. Some of us don't know. And even as Christians, we forget. God, who did you say you were? What, what's that promise again? Are you really going to be here for me? A lot of you all have these books open on your laps. Some of them are heavier than others. Um, and if you turn it to the front, it says the Holy Bible. If you ever need a reminder of who God says he is, it's right there. If you ever need a reminder of what he said, it's right there. There are apps about it. It's right in front of you. It's 66 books. It's one big love story. One about his love for us. It's a redemption story. In the beginning of time, we decided that we, we were going to lean on our own understanding in the garden. We, we know what's better. Don't, don't do that. Don't do the thing with the tree. Please, I know what's better for you. No, you don't. I'm cool. The serpent just came to give me an idea, but at the end of the day, I, I, I made the choice. I know more, so I'm going to... You want something too? Yeah, sure. Great. Here we are. Now we die. See where that got us? 
Long time ago, in the very beginning, we rely on our understanding, and, 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 and here we are now. Things have gone amok. And yet God made a very interesting choice. Instead of doing what, honestly, he should have done and wiped the slate clean, because he had every right to, he says, mm, no, I love them. I love them enough. One day, I'm going to send the sacrifice that will cover a multitude of sins. I'm going to send a sacrifice that will pay a debt that you can't. It's not even, even if you wanted to, you couldn't. It's too much. Because I know they can't do it. So I'm going to send someone who can wipe that slate. Um, and this is a choice. This is not an obligation. God did not have to do this. He decided in his own love, I love you enough to do this for you. This is who I am. I am love. I am truth. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to remind you every day <laughs> that I love you. And so when we get to acknowledgement, the hardest part, and, and this kind of goes back to arrogance a little bit, the hardest part about acknowledging God is that you have to acknowledge that you can't pay the debt. You can't. And this goes beyond Christianity. I feel like Christianity is step one, like, all right, great. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what you just did. I've been in seminary for three years, and I'm telling you, that's what I've gotten out of it. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> so you take that step. I, I believe your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins. I can't pay this debt. <sighs> Salvation. Great. What? But I'm still sinning. Help. <laughs> Is that good or bad? Is that? I don't get it. If I'm, if I'm saved, if, if sin is defeated, why do I seem to keep messing up? Why do I seem to keep making the same mistakes? Why do I want to yell at my children a lot when they're doing things that they shouldn't? Why do I want to go off on coworkers? Isn't that defeated? That's not supposed to be in me. Guess what? You can't pay that debt. That is a reminder. You can't. Literally. It's not possible. No matter how much you want to do it, no matter how much you beg, I want to pay the debt. You can't. It's not for you. Instead, you lay it down. It's a lot heavier than that, but God, there's this debt. There's this price that I can't pay. And you know what's funny? Well, I guess this isn't funny, but when they hung Jesus on the cross, there was a sign that they nailed, and it said, King of the Jews. If I could go back in time, what I would do myself personally, I keep doing that, I'm sorry. What I would do is I would take something else and nail it and said, paid in full. Because that's what that did. And that's why he wants you to acknowledge him. Because he knows you can't pay the price. He's not. You can't. Instead, he's directing you to the one who can. So we've gone through 
expectations and trust. You've gone through leaning on imperfect information. I also know who thinks they can drive a car with their eyes closed, so I will not be leaving directly after church. I'm going to wait a few hours. And we've also gone through acknowledging the Lord and learning that he will embrace all that come to him. It's a great setup. It's a great setup because at the end of all of this, there's a promise. There is a promise, and it's amazing. And he will direct your path. Friends, this is what it's all been about. It hasn't been trust in the Lord just because. Lean not on your own understanding just because. Acknowledge him just because. No, 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 no. There, there's something that he wants to happen to us. And it all leads to this. He wants, he will, I'm sorry, it's not what he will. He will direct your path. In this context, we're talking about direction. Direction means to be made straight, to move where it should go. So for anyone who's driven a car in your life on the highway, you're probably familiar with the annoying tendency of your car to drift from lane to lane. And if you haven't experienced it, God bless you. It's the weirdest thing. You know, you're driving down going 60, 70, okay. You're going down highway. <laughs> Not gonna get anyone in trouble today. You're going down the highway and slowly you feel as you're driving your car, your vehicle, the thing that's gonna transport you from point A to point B, your expectations, your wishes, your goals, everything that you wanna do, as you're driving it down the highway, you begin to realize that it's moving. And it's not like it's like turned all the way and then you've hit the guardrail. God, I hope not. But what's actually happening is that it's, it's, a little, it's a little nudge, I guess you'd call it. Just a little swerve, just a little bit. A little doubt. God, I don't know who you are. A little worry. God, do you really love me? A little mistrust. I don't really trust you. A little arrogance. I know what's best for me. And that swerve, as you go further, begins to lead you in a different direction. And then you're standing there, and you're like, how did I get here? I was on the straight and narrow, as the saying goes. I was, I was, I was being led, Lord. I was on the path, and then something happened, and... Then life hit me hard, and you all know what that's like. I lost my job, and something happened in my family, and went through a bad breakup, went through a bad divorce, and then I got sick, and next thing you know, you don't know where you're headed anymore. You initially had a goal in mind, and now you're here, and you sit there with your hands up, like, what happened? And God's like, trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. And I, oh, let me not hit that. And I will make your path straight. I'll move you back. I'll direct you back. 
because I know where I want you to go. You don't even know. Remember, you have incomplete information. I know where you want to go. Uh, there, there's the, <laughs> who here has ever heard of Jesus Take the Wheel? There's a song, sometimes it says a prayer when you're in a car with someone who can't drive. <laughs> See, people laugh loud as know what I'm talking about. <laughs> there's this notion that God should be the pilot and we should be the copa honestly, we should probably be a passenger, don't let me drive a car. And I think that that notion is brilliant. However, I don't know how accurate it is. Not because Jesus can't be the pilot, because we have a tendency to want to take the wheel back. That's the real problem. It's not that Jesus doesn't want to direct it, it's that we in our own self-sufficiency go, nah, I know where I'm going. He's like, okay, you do? All right, I'll sit here. Go ahead, drive. Go ahead. And you might start off really good. You might start off, hey, I know where I'm going. But time has a way of revealing folly. Time. You know why? Because with time comes tests. And tests have a way of proving how strong your foundation is. Jesus is not a bully. He's not like, give me the car because I want to hit you into the guardrail. No, he's like, I see it. I see that you're going to hit a guardrail. So before you even get to that point, let me direct you. Why? Why does he want to direct us? Simple. Cash your cares upon him because he cares for you. Done. I just preached a whole sermon in 10 seconds. Actually, it's been 20, I don't know how long it's been. Cash your cares on him because he loves you. That's it. Done. If you want everything summarized today in one verse, that's it. He loves you. Ta-da. Yeah. Believe it. He does. Can I prove it? Sure. When's the last person someone died for your sins? Oh, wait. When's the last time someone directly spoke into your life because they knew the perfect, the best way for you to live your life? Oh, wait. When's the last time someone gave you the spirit to help guide you through life? Oh, wait. When's the last time someone didn't exercise their divine retribution? And I mean actual divine retribution, not people who believe that they have divine retribution in their job title. Actual divine retribution. When was the last time someone with divine retribution did not do unto you, serve justice, and do unto you what you deserved? Oh, wait. Anybody? No? God's like, I love you. It's that simple. Three words can change your entire life. I'm going to close with this. God loves us enough to take us back and steer us even when we're broken. Trusting the Lord is not a question of whether he wants us to trust him. Rather, it's a question of whether we are willing to trust him. Are we willing to put our confidence, our hope, our faith in him? Christ intercedes on our behalf, waiting for his sons and daughters who have turned from him to come home. 
He waits with his arms open. Wide, might I add. Not like this. They're wide open. And is willing to embrace any and all who desire him. Friends, do you desire Christ? Because if you do, I promise you, no matter what phase of life you're in, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you said, no matter what you've done, matter of fact, no matter how you feel, because that can be the hard one. If you desire Christ, he'll take you no matter what. Amen. Oh, sorry. My bad. <laughs> um, let us pray. Thank you. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can trust you, that you've given us the choice and the opportunity to lay down our lives and for you to direct them. I pray that you remind us continuously of your promises, that you love us, you want the best for us, and more frankly, you want to guide us. You're willing to sit with us in our pain. You're willing to sit with us in our brokenness. You're willing to sit with us in our errors. And you want to direct us. I pray that we never forget that. And that any and all things, we remember that you love us and that you're open to take us whenever we come to you. In your name we pray. Amen.